Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome into the House of L podcast. This is episode eight of our little experiment. And so far, so good. We have had a lot of great guests on the podcast as well. And big thank you to everyone who listens, whether it's via the direct download or if you're listening on iTunes. We appreciate that. You've helped us find our way onto the charts for iTunes, which is really, really cool. Also, it looks like we're finally going to get the situation with Google Play figured out, which is great. And welcome to everyone who is listening via Spotify. That's cool. I was looking at the map, and one day I'll put it up on Twitter. Of all the people that have been listening to the podcast, and the great thing about doing the podcast on Libsyn is that it gives you the data of where people are. So... I've been looking. We've got 49 of the 50 states so far. Idaho was a holdout for a long time, but now they're on board. Now we just need Alaska to get on board, and we're good to go. But I'm seeing people listen in Nicaragua and Costa Rica, and I'm seeing folks listen in France and Spain. We made it to Africa. People in Tunisia are listening to us on the podcast, and that's cool that – if, if you live there, great. If I'm your travel companion, that's even better. So it's nice to know that there are fans of what I want to do all across the globe or at least are traveling all across the globe. This week's guest. Oh, wait, wait. Before I get to this week's guest, let me tell you. Episode 8, our sponsor for the podcast today is Melly Cafe. If you haven't checked out Melly Cafe, you should. They do all sorts of creative breakfast stuff. If you want to get some nice, fresh crepes, they got the Nutella. If you want to just get a great breakfast, it's fantastic. If you're looking for a meeting, like a breakfast or a lunch meeting, a brunch meeting, this is the place to go. Now, there are three locations. There's 550 North Wells Street. There's Greektown, which is right on the corner of Halstead and Jackson. Those two locations are open for breakfast and lunch. And then... There's the 500 South Dearborn location, the one off of Congress in Dearborn, and that one is open until 10 o'clock. So you can go there and get a good dinner as well. The menu is amazing. The type of stuff that they do with pancakes is fantastic. The French toast, I can't stop saying nice things about them, and we're very happy that they're on board as the first sponsor of the podcast. It's very cool that they believed in what we were doing. And every guest on the show will receive a $50 gift card to Melly Cafe. And I hope that they use it because they will become fans of the place just like I have. And hopefully you'll check it out and you'll become a fan. And I would love that. And please, if, if you do, to let me know. Send me a tweet. Send them a tweet at Melly Cafe Chicago. M-E-L-I. Melly. So Melly Cafe Chicago. 
Send them a tweet. Just go look at their Twitter page and and look at the images. Look at their Instagram. Same tag. And look at the images. Trust me, you will love that place. Now on to this week's guest. I love my call. If you watch Big Ten Network, you've watched my call grow. But before he was there, some of you may remember this and you might not remember this. But he was the winner of ESPN's Dream Job. Remember Dream Job? Yeah. He was the guy who won it. I think think the most memorable part of the whole Dream Job experience was seeing some of the, the guys that were in it that got flustered in getting prepared for Dream Job. But that was not Mike. Mike did a great job and then worked at ESPN for a really long time. After that, showing that he wasn't just a guy who won a contest, but he was someone who had a real knack for this. And and going to Big Ten Network, he's improved upon that. He hosts the show Sports Light, which I think is great because it gives him an opportunity to show off his comedic talent. And he anchors a lot of their sports coverage, of of course, for the Big Ten Network. I love talking with him. He's a a genuinely down-to-earth dude. We vibe on a lot of different levels. Very funny guy. I always joke that over at the score, he's part of the family because he, his lovely wife, Linda, was a sales rep for the score. She used to play on the score softball team and get yelled at by me on the score softball team. So he's already part of the family. So when we get together, it's a good time. So in here... We're going to spend a lot of time talking about the business itself. One of the things I didn't know, which you'll find out, is how ensconced Mike is in improv and comedy. So we're going to talk about that. Talk about how Big Ten Network was the wild, wild west back in the day when it first started. And talk about what his experience was like at ESPN. For a lot of people, getting to ESPN is the holy grail. That's where they want to be. And then they get there, and it's not all it's cracked up to be. Mike had some great experiences at ESPN, and he had some terrible experiences at ESPN. There were people who liked him from the get, and there were people who were mean to him for no reason other than that he was a contest winner. So take a listen and enjoy. This is me and Mike Hall sitting down talking about the business and what it's like to be Mike Hall. I I know that. We spend a lot of time talking about Dream Job. Yeah. But the thing that I haven't asked you about Dream Job is how were you regarded around ESPN after winning Dream Job? Yeah, it's a great question because it was weird, man. There there were a few different groups of people. There were some folks who were like, I hate this guy. I hate the show. I hate that you got here. I hate that you're 22. I've worked in Topeka and Des Moines, and I got my lucky break, but screw you because you didn't do all those other steps. And I understood that. And I went in and I was like, I get it. I'm probably not going to change your mind. I'm just going to, you know, walk past it and, you know, take the high road at all times, prove your worth. There were a large chunk of people who were just like, you're a cog in the machine, man. Welcome on board. Don't like you. Don't dislike you. Just you're one of us. So, Okay. You know, you're, you're now a day, I might get a day off in November because there's another anchor here. And then there was a small set of people who were like, I watched the show, I loved it. I thought you were great. I'm excited to work with you. 
Um, you know, there were times that uh, I, I once walked by a, a fairly well-known anchor who said something like, we ought to show people your screw-ups so they can see what an effing joke you are. And I was like, what? Who? We've, like, never talked. I... And so I like, had that moment of, like, stopping going, do I say something or do I just let it go? And I was like, nope. I If I'm only here for however long I'm here, I want there to be no drama. I want to just fit in. I want to be one of the people. I do. I get that I had my break. So if I'm the rookie, if I'm carrying, you know, uh, my my little pony lunch pails for everybody for you, a year. You're bringing donuts for everybody. I'm totally fine. And that's what I did. I volunteered to work Thanksgiving, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, New Year's. Like, I wanted to work those days to be like, I'm the rookie. I need to earn it. And most people eventually were fine. With that, there's only like by the time I left Bristol, there's only like one or two people who are still just like, nope, I didn't want to like you, and I choose still not to like you. Wow, that that's unfortunate because I feel like with the work that you did over there on multiple platforms, that it would have been enough to even turn the the coldest heart well, around. Most literally, it was one or two people. So most everybody came around. I'll tell you a story of Trey Wingo. So. uh he apparently, I didn't know this at the time, was one of the loudest anti-dream job anchors. That when they would have these meetings, he was one of the more vocal people saying, this is a horrible idea and it's bad for us. And so the show ends in late March. And in April, ESPN sends me to New Orleans for this like convention where we're going to interview famous athletes and you get sponsors to yada yada. Just a, It's a glad handing. Look how cool the ESPN thing is. And they said, we want to show off the dream job kids. So will you come do it? Trey Wingo's going to be there. And I was like, yeah, yeah, sure, great. And so I show up, and, and I meet Trey, and I'm excited to meet him, and he shakes my hand, and about three minutes into the conversation, he goes, come here. And he pulls me aside from this group here, and he goes, I really wanted to hate you, but I met you, and I don't hate you. I think you're a good guy. I'm your friend now. Anything you need, you come to me. Anybody gives you a hard time, I got your back. And it was like, just, just he saw that I wasn't an ego freak was enough for him to be like, got it. I, I, I thought, John Anderson told me, he was like, I think a lot of us thought you'd just come in and be like, nope, you're doing Sports Center wrong. Here's how you do it. And the fact that I came in and was like, can I buy you lunch and pick your brain about stuff? They were like, oh, oh, okay, got it. Okay, cool. Was that a strategy of yours? or or, or, I, or is that just how you're hardwired? Both. I wanted to, I mean, my folks are very, you know, they raised you to be a, a respectful of elders, but also I was like, I don't know how to do this. I mean, I went to the best broadcast journalism school in the country, and you still aren't prepared to host SportsCenter at 22. So I, I I think I did this with like 10 or 12 different anchors. I would be like, Carl Ravitch, do you have time this week? I can buy you lunch. And then I'd go buy lunch, and I would almost not eat, and I'd have a, a pen and a pad of paper. And I'd just be like, how do you approach starting highlights? Ticket, 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 write down the notes. And be like, what, when you're interviewing someone, what do you ticket, 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 and write all these notes? I'd go home that night and like type it up and say, what's the most important thing? And then after a couple months, I had like a six page document of great advice from the best people in the business on what to do. And it was a, it, it was, it was a, what I didn't, I did it to get better. But what I didn't realize was it was an endearing way of people to be like, oh, you're here to learn. You're here to work hard. You're here to get better. You're not here to be this cocky jerk. We like you a little more now. What was the best advice that you got? <sighs> There's so much. I mean, I picked everybody's brain. Um, well, wait, let me rephrase. I'll let you think about it. Who was the most interesting person of the group that you went out to lunch with? that maybe you had some preconceived notions about, and then you sat down with them and w went, wow, we're kindred spirits a little bit. Oh, that's an interesting way of looking at it. Um, David Lloyd, maybe? 
David Lloyd is one of the most underrated sports anchors around, and he was back then. Thankfully, he's been doing a lot of sports centers now because he's just so good. But he's he's one of those guys you wouldn't think. There's nothing that he's not a hot take guy, right? I know that's not the role as an anchor, but the concept of I'm going to be loud and brash and like he's just smart, works hard, does his business, but is funny. Like, is, is a sneaky, funny guy. Matt Weiner's another guy like that. Mm. I don't know if you remember him. He's now at Turner, NBA TV stuff. But, like, that dude is funny. He's a good writer. He works hard. Like, he just does his thing. Um, Ravage gave me a lot of, like, just great little insights. Like, he told me when he throws to a highlight, he likes to say the name of the arena. He's like a small little thing, but I don't say we go to Chicago. He says off to Comiskey. You know, and and that's uh, if we're going to uh, – Columbus, you're off to the shoe. You know, you say something about where you're going, and it helps put. And I was like, oh, that's an interesting specific thing. Um, I think I have a better answer for you in terms of most interesting. The most interesting was Dan Patrick, because Dan was very hot cold with me. He his radio show was very big around 04 at ESPN. It was a very big deal. He was doing the six o'clock Eastern Sports Center. That was a very big deal. He's a Hall of Fame broadcaster. He's a big deal regardless, and he was. Fairly vocal on his show about not liking the show and not liking the concept and sometimes not liking the guy who won. Mostly it was about the show. But when I won, ESPN said, you have to interview him. (laughs) Dan didn't love that. And the day after I won, they had me do a segment with Dan on SportsCenter where I did a Yankees Rays highlight and Dan had to interview me there. And, like, it was really interesting to see him sort of grapple with the whole, like, you know, that place is his building in 04. That's I mean, he was the man then. And so he had to grapple with, I firmly believe something bad is happening to our brand with, if I was 22, I'd do just what this kid did. And there were times, there were multiple times where Dan would pull me into his office and say, I've been watching you. You're doing great. Keep up the good work. And it was like, I, you know, I melted. Like, that's your your hero telling you something like that. And then the next day... I'd be walking down a long hallway north. Dan would be walking down south. There's nobody else in the hallway. He'd be whistling to himself, and we'd get close enough that I'd smile and go, Hey, Dan, how's it going? And just, like, nothing. And I'd be like, What did I do? How did I offend you? Ah, let me apologize. What happened? And it's like, How could both of these things exist at the same time? But I found out later on that it was more of, you know, A, it might have been like, You're the rookie, deal with it. Sometimes I'm going to ignore you. And B, it was a little bit of just like, he's got his own life. He's got kids who are teenagers. He's got his own problems. Like, he's not there to hold your hand. You're a professional. Deal with it. Which was also, whether it was intended or not, a good, you know, professional lesson to learn. What do you think it taught you in dealing with people that weren't on your side just because you're Mike Hall? It taught me to not be too upset if I can't win them over. Because there are, again, there, there, there was a guy, I won't say his name, I don't even know if he's working anymore, but we would do these one to four Eastern shifts on fall Saturdays. So that was a college football heavy show. And that's a three hour broadcast on ESPN News. And he would do the show with me and he wouldn't talk to me. Not in the meeting, not sitting across from me on the desk, not on the air live. I'd be like, uh, how about that big win for Oregon? And he wouldn't even look. He'd just be like, moving on to the Pac-12, there's also a blah, blah, blah. And it was like, at some point you go, I've done nothing wrong. People just don't like you. And there are reasons for that or not, but you got to deal with it. And See, that's okay. I feel like that's a terrible way to do a show. Yes. And, and oh, there would yes. have to be a producer somewhere going, yes. 
look, fam, you're going to have to talk to the guy you're doing the show with. Let's just put it this way. He didn't last very long. Okay. He right. he wasn't there much longer. Uh, and I think rightfully so. He didn't have the, the best of reputations regardless. I've learned probably the best lessons in our business from watching things that I sh- I didn't like when I was coming up in the business. Totally. I I think you're onto something big there. I firmly believe some of the best ways you get better is by watching someone do something you don't like. Sometimes being good is not the good things you do, it's the bad things you don't do. And I think that's that's really I still do that today. I will watch how someone I will watch how someone treats a cameraman and be like, "Why would you think you're better than that guy?" And, like, I need to remember, don't ever do that. I, I watch someone throw an ego fit, and I think, you know what? I would never do that. But then you're like, okay, is there something I did that maybe could be considered close to that? Well, then knock it off because you don't want to be that guy. Like, I think there's tons of value of seeing someone or something that is done poorly and going, nope, note to self. I'm not going to do that. What was your favorite time at ESPN? Is there a particular show or hmm. season where you just went, man, things are going great. I love how happy I am. I think the first, like the first month I was there, you shadow. So you don't really do any shows. Um, And that was such a sponge moment, right? I wasn't giving anything. I was just taking information. Then the second month you start going on air, and that's where you're making your mistakes and you're screwing up. But I think by like that third or fourth month, I started to be not the kid. And I'm not saying I was good, because I probably wasn't that good. But I started to be, like, just a guy, which was kind of my goal the first year was, like, I just want to be the point where he's just a guy, right? Just fit in, just blend in, just be not the contest winner. And that, you, that was my— You're not trying to be a star. Nope. You're just trying to fit in. I, I wanted to be a David Lloyd, a Matt Weiner, not somebody who thinks is— you know, blowing up and grabbing headlines, but someone who's like, oh, we need him to do this show. Yeah, he's fine doing that. Um, And so I think around month like three or four, that would have been like September, October, which is a great time in the sports calendar when, you know, baseball playoffs and college football and the NFL have started. And like, that's when I started to feel comfortable on air. And And once you feel comfortable on air, like, again, it doesn't mean you're good, but it means you know you're not bad. And that's like a good baseline to have. How do you think you would have done if we were, if this had happened in the age of oh, social man. media? That's a great question, buddy. I It would have been different. I mean, they would have, first off, the show would have been different. So they they treated it like a reality show. We were there for four days. They only put on an hour, but they filmed us in the hotel. They filmed us doing activities, they would have released all of that. That would have been, you know, Instagram videos. It would have been tweets, yada, yada. I'm sure, I mean, I'm not a a terribly edgy or aggressive person, but I bet if I was a 22-year-old kid and Twitter was around, I would have put something dumb on there. I would have made some joke about something that would have been maybe not appropriate. Um, So I, I think it would have been a whole new ball game because you just, I still had to be careful about what I did and what I said but it would have been different. Like, do you? I don't know if you remember this, but like, I was sort of dating one of the other contestants on the show. I do remember that. That would have been a bigger deal if if there was social media around. Like, we still got written up on page six at the time, so like, people found out about it. But like, if there's you know cameras on your cell phone, weren't that big a thing in 04 even. So like, that was 
it certainly would have changed things. Do you think that you would have been able to handle the type of criticism and the volume of criticism that comes in today's age of social media, considering you know that you were green and you were trying to learn all this stuff on air? Yeah, I, th- I'd like to think I would, um, because I I think if you can <clears throat> if you can deal with being on that show and the scrutiny that came there, and if you can deal with doing a sports center, and if you can deal with you know all that, I'd like to think you could deal with a knucklehead calling you a moron online um but i don't know i mean it it, when you're 22 you know did you have the patience you have when you're in your mid-30s no you know i I could i could see there being i mean i don't think i would have been a jerk but i think i you know what i think i would have done i think i would have internalized it worse i think i would have been like did i suck at that oh was that not a funny joke i think i might have been more self-conscious about just being myself which probably would have hurt me how do you handle that stuff now i would love to lie and say I don't look at your mentions, which is what Bob Lee has told me multiple times. Just never do. Smart man. But I look at it and I try to decide if it's fair or not. And there are times when somebody is like, there, there, there was a time I was, I was, um, I almost got into a Twitter war, which is the dumbest thing of all time, with the Michigan State baseball coach. He sent me a note. This was like 09 or 10. He sent me a note. How dare you say this thing or whatever? And I was like, I didn't say that. And then I was like, did I say that? And then I went back <laughs> and I looked at the tape and I was like, oh, crap, I said that. And it was basically I was like, well, this guy's their best pitcher was what I meant to say. And what it came out as was he's the only guy they got, which the coach took offense to. And in hindsight, I was like, OK, yeah, I worded that poorly. That was on me. But like I gave it the attention of like, let me double check. That I didn't say that before I tell you I didn't say that. And I was like, oh, I did say that. Um, so in general, I, I try to treat it as there might be a kernel of truth here and maybe it'll help me get better. But for the most part, if somebody says you suck, it's like, okay. If I'm in a saucy mood, I'll go back and forth and be like, mom, you are right again. You know, or be like, I'll tell you I suck. I'm the fan club of the Mike Hall sucks. You know, brigade, and uh, it is fun sometimes to go back and forth. There's a, there's an account called Boiled Sports, and it's all about Purdue athletics, and they hated me. In, like, 2010, 11, they hated me. They would just constantly send me tweets, and, like, one time I responded with, like, you think that sucked? You should see my show the night before. I was terrible. And they wrote back, like, ha-ha, and then they made fun of me a week later, and I made fun of myself back, and all of a sudden they started, like, promoting me. You won. They were like, oh, this guy's great. And it's like, well, that's a good lesson, right? You know, that's the lesson I learned in junior high. Make fun of yourself for looking like a doofus before somebody else can, and then you took away their power. <laughs> that's that's very true, and it's a really good lesson. I've talked to a lot of people about this, but I don't know if I've ever talked to anyone on the record about it. What's Bristol like? Mm. Bristol is, it gets the reputation, was it was it Olbermann or somebody said, happiness is Bristol in your rearview mirror, right? It gets this reputation of of bad. And sure enough, I actually got in trouble once uh, early on in, in Bristol. I was I, someone did an interview, a Connecticut paper interviewed me, and I said there are four things in in Bristol: trees, a McDonald's, ESPN, and trees. And the president of the network didn't find that as funny as I did. Um, but the truth is, if you're married, if you're thirty something, you don't really have much of a, a social nightlife. It's fine. It's quiet. It's safe. Like it's it's not great. But if you're not going out at night, it's fine. If you're single, it's a little tough. If you want to go party, it's a little tough. You know, you are only two hours from Boston, two hours from New York. That's still two hours. Yeah, it's a long time. 
you know, there's like like Stamford, Connecticut's a, a nice little place. West Hartford's a nice little place. You're there for your job. And I think I, I firmly believe part of the reason why ESPN got so good is because there's not much to do there. Because I can attest when I was there, there would be nights where I was like, well, I'm done at seven. But I don't know. I could stay and work on tomorrow's show, which would make me better. And I could be like, yeah, I'm, I have Saturday off, but you need me to fill in? All right, I'll fill in, which makes me better. And that when you have no other social distractions, you focus on the one thing you have, which is your job. And I do think there's at least some element of that. What ma- that's what makes people better is not much else to do around there. What's that campus like? And I know it's been a while. It's different now, yeah. From when you were there, but when I was there, I think there were about three thousand folks there, and I, I know there's at least a thousand more. Um, but it's uh, it's business like, uh, you know. We call it a campus. It's just a bunch of big buildings. There, there. When I was there, there there weren't people playing frisbee. There weren't you know picnics. It was a big building here and a walkway, a big building here, a parking lot, a big building here, satellites everywhere. And you kind of just did your thing. You kind of just, all right, I'm on from 8 to 10 tonight, so I'm in at 2 o'clock, so I'm here from 2 to 10. I'm not not coming early to hang out unless you work out, which I don't know if you can tell from my muscles. I don't. The gun show is uh, impressive. That's the best lie you've said all day. (laughs) It's true. Uh so like the, uh, some people do. Some people socialized at the gym or or would hang out at the um, at the cafeteria. There's a very nice cafeteria there that all sorts of folks do. But I found it very businesslike and not bad outside of just the lack of social scene. As the business started to contract a bit and ESPN was was hit hard. And it was very public mm-hmm. when it came to the layoffs that were happening. You're talking the last couple of years. Yeah, yeah. At, at ESPN. What was that like for you? Because I imagine there were still some of the, your people that were there and were getting laid off. Sure. Yeah, I knew a few folks who were. And, and you know, the bummer was it's not that they sucked at their job, right? I mean, it's not like the guy that I said who wouldn't even look at his co-anchor during a show got let go. He'd already gotten let go. Like, that's a reason. Like, okay, you've you've displayed that you're not necessarily a good fit for this family. But these are people who are good reporters, good anchors, good producers, good associate producers. And when they get let go, I mean, it. A, you're sad for your friends, but B, you're right, you're sad for your industry. And you're like, well, what does, if the king is doing this, I mean, if what does that say for everybody else? And, and there's certainly been, we haven't at BTN had the same type of losses and of cuts, but there have been things we've done. We have lost a few people over the last few years because cord cutting is a thing and it's powerful and it's impacting the industry. And um, it's, it's not like keep you up at night in the way that if you were the person who got let go was, but it certainly makes you look around and go, all right, are we cool? Is this, do I need to make sure I'm crossing my T's a little more? And do I need to make sure my friends that I work with are crossing their T's? You brought up producing. What do you need from a producer? Man, I've worked with some really good ones. Um, I got very lucky with working with good producers. You, When I was in Charlotte at ESPNU, I had one main producer. His name's Pete Waters. Very well-respected guy. He was doing the 11 Eastern Sports Center when he jumped to do ESPNU. And we had, like, sort of an unspoken battle of who can get into the office first. Right. I mean, if like we needed to be at noon, I'd be in at 1130 and he'd already be there. And then the next week it'd be like, well, he was in at 11. I'm going to get in at 1045. And like and there's some healthy battle to like, you're not going to outwork me. 
You can try as much as you want, but I'm going to outwork you. I need a producer to put me in a position to succeed. So depending on your medium, that means different things. But like for our shows, like I need you to have good ideas. I need you to understand uh, if I disagree with an idea that you're putting me in an uncomfortable spot to do something. So how do we find a better idea? I need you to tell me when my ideas aren't good um, in the same way that I will to you. But I think the most important thing outside of like the logistics of, you know, in TV, you have a rundown. The rundown has to be in. It has to make sense. It has to be easy to read. The most important thing you need from a producer is calm in your ear. When you're when stuff is hitting the fan, you need a producer to be calm because I have had I've done 10 hour NFL draft shows. I've done eight hour signing day shows. These are exhausting, long things, and it's easy to have someone rattle you. These are things where you're talking and someone's in your ear at the same time and you have to process it all. And if you're in my ear going like, oh shoot, we lost that full screen. Hey, we got to Mike, we need you to stretch for the, like, that's a problem. But if you're like, hey man, we're having chaos back here. Give me a couple minutes. Like, that's all I need. Explain what's wrong and tell me it in a relaxed fashion. Cause I know it's hell where you are, but because I have to have a smile on, you can't give me hell in my ears. It has to be chill. Yeah, if you need time to stretch, it's not that hard to just say, stretch two minutes. Yes. And sometimes that's a a learned way of going about it from host to producer or director sometimes sure. where you have to have the conversation, say, hey, I, I just need you to just take it down right. like one notch while – things are live. And that's and it's and it's a hard thing sometimes to stretch, especially with there's no guidance. Like uh, when I was younger, producers would be really good at being like, we got to stretch, why don't you talk about quarterback play? And it was like, okay. But as I got older, I learned like, well, it's my job to be there when things get hard. So I have to be okay with he says stretch, come up with something and let's go because he's putting out fires. Like the 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 producers and the directors and the APs, like, there are not literal fires, but there's chaos sometimes in there. Graphics are freezing. Live shots are going down. You know, the first uh, show I did on BTN ever was the show we did called Friday Night Tailgate. It was a comedy football hybrid show. Jordan Klepper, who's now a Comedy Central star, was on it. And, and your doppelganger. <laughs> we, we, we're tall, thin, white Midwestern boys. Um, <laughs> And, uh, and the very first show, we are like two minutes in. And this is the second day of the history of Big Ten Network and my first show on the air. And the producer gets my ear and goes, hey, man, the entire control room just shut down, so we need you to stretch. And so I just talked. And I, I was supposed to throw to Jordan, who was in Ann Arbor, and I couldn't throw to him because we didn't have live, sh- live shots are down. And I was like, you know, there's an important graphic to remember. Graphics are down. And, like, nothing. And so we had to do, like, seven or eight minutes of just me talking in circles until the producers said, okay, you can throw to break. And <coughs> it was not good television, Lawrence. <laughs> but You were doing radio. Is that I was doing what radio. You, what I you was were standing, doing. yeah. Uh, <laughs> But uh, in front of everyone, that's right. the, you were sweating. Doing, yes, you were doing radio in front of everyone with everyone looking at you going, why is he not? What a doing boring show. <laughs> is he alone on here? They didn't give him anyone else. Is this just his network? Right. Is he the only person on it? Yeah. 
But that's a, a lesson of like, like deal with it. That's your job. When stuff gets hard, you're supposed to do that and make it look at least okay. Uh, and that producer at the time was very good by, again, he wasn't screaming, ah, everything's on fire. He was just like, graphics are down. And it was like, okay, that's all I need. Of all the places that you've been covering things, being on a, a show, you talked about the draft and signing day. Give me a couple of the most interesting places that you went to go cover sports. Let's see. So, like, remote. Not like a studio show that was interesting, but, like, places that were interesting. I mean, if, if you did a studio show on live on remote and it was someplace great, I'm down for hearing that, too. You know, when we launched um, ESPNU, we did it from Stillwater, Oklahoma, at Oklahoma State's campus. And that was a pretty cool event. It was a two-hour college game day for a big basketball game that night. And Chris Fowler and the whole basketball crew were there. But I was, like, little junior guy who was there to be the guy of ESPNU. And so Doug Gottlieb and I had, like, a side set. And that place was great. And I want to say, I'm not sure on the band, but I want to say the band that was uh, three doors down did a concert for us. And so that was like the end of the show. Fowler threw to me, and then I did a little thing inside um, Gallagher Iba Arena, and it was packed, and I threw to three doors down. And, like, that was a super cool moment where there's 16,000 college folks. You're in the middle of it with a spotlight on you and a big moving jib camera, and there's the number one band at the time. They had the number one album that's 200 yards away. Uh that's ready to rock out to a popular and maybe you don't love three doors down, but still it's a popular band and you're throwing to them. That was a really cool moment. I had a similar thing at the Rose bowl. Do you remember what I think is the greatest college football game ever? Texas USC Rose bowl. Great game. Unbelievable. We did a two or a three hour pregame show. It was me, Todd McShay and a guy named Mike Gottfried. And we did this great show and it was so awesome. And at the end of it, big and rich, the country band, was on, and so we had to like throw to them again. There's apparently a big thing at ESPN of throwing to bands back in 0506, but but we threw to them, and that was a bonkers show because like the Rose Bowl is like even if you hate college football, you have to go to a Rose Bowl in your life. Like the scene, the mountains, the way that it's light in the first half and dark in the second half, and like it's it's 70 at 10 a.m. and it's 39 at 10 p.m. and like it's just a fascinating environment for sports and for, you know, people watching and everything. Uh, But that scene was so cool. And then the game was this epic game. And, like, I didn't even have tickets until the last minute. And we were right in the middle of a Texas section. And, like, couldn't have cared less who won. But you're watching this incredible scene. Like, that was really cool, too. There have been a couple of – I did sidelines for a few Bears games for Fox, which was awesome. I mean, I was on the sidelines as Devin Hester returned a punt for a score. Like – That's an incredible memory. Um. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. And just being on, you've been on Soldier Field. Like, I'm sure it gets old over time, but I've only been on the field like five or six times. And that is still, like, as a Chicagoan, like, this place is, you know, people call Madison Square Garden Mecca. This place is Mecca to a Chicagoan. What's crazy is that a few, it used to be that if you were one of the reporters covering a game in the NFL, 
that you could go down on the field for pre. Mm-hmm. You could go down there. Like, I would talk with guys all the time while they're doing warm-ups. Like, Lance Briggs and Charles Tillman would always do warm-ups together. Mm-hmm. They'd come out, they'd walk, they'd jog, they'd walk, they'd jog. Mike Brown was always very solitary. <laughs> yeah. And I would I would mess with Mike, you know, as he's warming up. And now you get little nuggets here or there. I want to say six or seven years ago, they stopped that. Yeah, that's too bad. That you couldn't go down. It used to be the last two minutes of a game you could go down on the field as right. well. And that was amazing. Last year when I was doing uh, Bears pre, we did pre from the field. Hmm. And I was like, it's been a long time since I had been on the field and kind of felt that energy. That energy. You know, you've got 60,000 people that are climbing into – and it was a, it was a Monday night game. Yeah. And I was like, man, I, I kind of missed this. Right. And then walking out with Alex Brown, Jim Miller, and Lance Briggs – as everyone wants to touch them. Totally. You know, like it was it was a very cool thing. So I completely get what you're saying about that that vibe. It's a hard thing to describe, but I people who are performers like Three Doors Down or Big and Rich, they must have that feeling every night. Right. Like you're in front of giant crowds and there's there's a heat that comes from that. You made me think of two interesting sideline stories. So one of them is a Robbie Gold and one is an Urban Meyer. So when I'm doing Fox NFL sidelines, there's a Lions-Bears game and Gold, who's, you know, one of the five greatest kickers ever. Correct. Right? Uh, he's lining up and it's a close game. And Soldier Field does not have the best reputation for its turf. And I was on a crew with a, a famous director and producer who were in the 80s, the number one guys. They had Madden, Summerall. They were legendary guys. And by the time they were stuck with me, they were not in such high regard. Uh, and I couldn't get the, the producer to listen to me because I was talking to Robbie with a minute left in the game. And I was like, how's the field? It's terrible. What's the worst part? Right there in the center. Where do you want the ball? I mean, he's giving me every morsel of information. And I'm like... Hey, hey, come down to me. I got a great hit. Please come down to me. And, like, they wouldn't. I think they turned the volume down, which you have no control over because the producer's, again, doing a hard job. He's got a lot of things going on. But, like, I was, that was my, it would have been my greatest sideline hit ever. And I couldn't, I didn't even get it on the air. Um, But the other one was you mentioned cool atmospheres. So I've done a lot of, you know, when when a game ends, especially if it's a championship game, there's, like, either the sideline reporter grabs the head coach or one of the partners of whomever grabs him. So maybe if ESPN grabs the player, well, then Fox grabs the head coach or something like that. And the fans and the coaches and blah, 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 all come onto the to the field. So this past year, Ohio State wins the Big Ten championship game, and I go get Urban Meyer. And I run onto the field, and I see him, and it's this big emotional. He's had this crazy week with his quarterback injured, and can they, oh, maybe they're in the playoff now and all this. And I'm talking to the producer, and I go, I'm ready. I got him. And I'm waiting like four seconds for the go, and Urban is being held up by his wife, Shelly. And she's just holding it, and he's like almost melting in her arms And she, because he's so exhausted because he puts in a 19-hour day or whatever every day of the week, and the game's finally over, and they finally won, and there was drama. And it was so fascinating to just watch her. She was like, I got you. I'm here for you. I'm keeping you up. Don't worry about this. You're going to be fine. You did it. I'm proud of you. I got you. And it was like this beautiful human moment that nobody got to see we weren't shooting it we were just waiting to go but like who gets to see that side of one of the greatest modern college football coaches and coaches wives man don't mess (laughs) they 
they are no joke yeah. for for real for real. Yeah. What's it been like to watch Big Ten Network grow into what it is now? Really uh, delightful. It when we launched, I mean, there were there were people who said this is dumb. I mean, people I respected who were like, "You're never gonna." gain traction, you'll have no games, why would anyone watch you? Nobody done it, right? The only things that were comparable were the NFL Network and the Yankees Yes Network, and people were still a little skeptical about both of those enterprises. And so the fact that, you know, the first year, not many people got us, and, like, that's okay because we screwed a lot of stuff up. And, and then we got good, and then we got eyeballs, and then we started getting better games, and and. We did better shows, and we, you know, everything has very slowly gotten better. And now I look at, you know, like we're doing, we, I, I'm about to start my third year of doing this version of, of a late night comedy show on the network. That concept wouldn't have existed five years ago. They, they wouldn't have even wanted to do it. And the fact that are, that our leaders are good enough to say, let's do something different, let's try something creative. Like it is so cool that that this thing that, again. Many people in the industry said is not likely to work, and the fact that it's been so successful and that we've we've figured a lot of things out without the big brother. Like, I launched a network before. I did it at ESPNU. We had the big brother who was king doing everything. Our graphic packages were made. Everybody who worked on it worked in Bristol before. Like, we all knew each other. We all knew the system. We all knew the way it went. There wasn't much of a learning curve. It was just doing a different show. This you were creating everything, and there was no big hand. So that is partly why we struggled early on in certain things, and and it took us longer to get to certain places than we wanted to. But in hindsight, it kind of makes it a little more worthwhile. Well, it's definitely more romantic. Was it like the Wild Wild West in the first two years? I wouldn't go that dramatic. I mean, except for that story I told about when I had to stretch for six minutes uh, on our first show, there, there, there were moments like that. It was more of, you know, half our people came from Bristol and half came from Fox in L.A. So, like, when you go to break in television, we call it a bump. Well, some people called it a tease. And you'd be like, well, we're going to the tease. And in, in Bristol, well, tease is the top of the show where you tease what's coming up. And they're like, no, 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 tease is what's coming up after the break. And you're like, someone says, let's go to the tease. And you're going, why would we redo the top of the show? You know, little silly things like that mm. happened a lot those first few weeks. You know what that sounds like? That sounds like different variations of the West Coast offense. Yeah. Like we're all saying totally. the same thing, but maybe the language is a little bit different from coach to coach. Absolutely. That's a, that's a great way of putting it. You're all trying to get to the same point or to the same place. You're just using words that mean different things to different people. Um, so there, there definitely were, were screw ups and things we learned about. I mean, there were nights when, you know, I had this at ESPNU too, where the lights just went out in the middle of a show. <laughs> I mean, Doug Gottlieb and I did a show. He loves talking about this where, and in, in Charlotte at ESPNU where the lights went down and I just said, when the lights go down in the studio and we started singing journey until somebody yelled at us. Cause that was stupid television because what are you going to do? The lights went down. And so like, there were moments like that. There've been, you know, things that have fallen in the middle of a set. There've been, you know, a, a lot of those things happen those first couple of years, but eventually you work out the kinks. It's so hard to predict the future in our business. And there was no big 10 network for you to go to right. when, when you were in dream job. So, how do you try to think about what you want to do next 
And how do you reconcile that with the way the technology in our business is changing day by day? John Anderson once told me, the more you can do, the more you can do. And that's great advice. That's one of the things I always tell younger people. And so I think about that of, okay, what I wanted to do was just be a sports center anchor, just be that guy. But I know that that might not be a thing in five years because who knows? Everything is changing. So that's why I try to make sure I can do sideline reporting. And I want to try to make sure I can do regular reporting. And I'm trying to find footing doing a comedy show on a sports network, which is not that easy to do. And I do some play-by-play here and there. I'd like to do a little bit more. Um, So I think diversifying is important. But also part of it is, like, what can you do? I mean, you you can't predict. You know, I, I usually would get this question the first, like, 10 years of my career of, like, what's next? And I was like... Man, when I was a a senior in college, I didn't know that Dream Job would be my path because it didn't exist. When I got to ESPN, I didn't know ESPNU would be my path because it didn't exist. When I got to ESPNU, I didn't know Big Ten Network because it didn't exist. So, like, there's every major step. Literally, I couldn't have known about it beforehand. So I try to remember of, like, do things that you're proud of, work hard, make good relationships, and then just hope that the right people like you and want to give you opportunities as long as possible because yeah i mean it's we don't know anyone who tells you they know what the industry will be tomorrow is absolutely lying to you you're a funny guy disagree i i strongly believe (laughs) that you are a funny guy and you do a funny show you're also a journalist and i can i can hear it you know i can hear how important the industry is to you yeah how do you walk the tightrope of going onto a campus and doing, you know, having blueberry muffins <laughs> with people and then understanding that you might have to do right. a serious story from, from night to night. How, how do you reconcile that? It's a great question, man. I think it's really important. Um, I think you do it by proving you can do the serious stuff first, and that gives you license to have personality second. I've covered Joe Paterno's funeral I've done stories on death many times. I, you know, uh, the thing I'm most proud of in my entire career is a really sad thing. And it it makes me feel uncomfortable to use the word proud because it's a thing I'm sad about. But I did like a six minute obituary when Stuart Scott passed away because he was this he hosted Dream Job and he was this unbelievably warm and helpful presence in my life. And I spent two days writing it. Um, and I'm more proud of that than any joke I've made because I feel like I treated the moment and the person with the respect that was appropriate. And I think if you prove you can do that, you have the license to do others in the way that Keith Olbermann was funny, Dan Patrick was funny, but if you needed a Mickey Mantle obituary, Olbermann was going to write it better than anybody. If you needed a story on steroids, Dan Patrick was going to tell it to you better than anybody if you need a serious interview with bob knight like you could get dan patrick to do that and i and i think because i have the background of the university of missouri that helps me to some degree and hopefully people have seen the serious things i do that helps me to some degree i also think i don't go as far as my instincts might be in comedy like i'm not that edgy on btn i'm not that bizarre that you know i did improv in Second City and I.O. in Chicago for a decade. And, like, I would be edgier on that stage than I ever am on air 
because you do have to keep your credibility. I, I don't want to become somebody who can't do that story that someone needs to take seriously or you limit yourself. The, the less you can do, the less you can do if that's the situation. Who's the easiest coach to have fun with that you've done something with? Ooh, let's see. Uh, Fitz is great at Northwestern. Izzo absolutely gets it. Everything you want to do with Izzo, he he knows where you're going and is happy to do it. Um, who else? Uh, there are some surprises. Like Mark D'Antonio is a very serious, stoic guy, but he always opens up for me as much as he can, which is not much, but there's a sneaky amount of humor inside him, and he gets it. Paul Christ is the same way. Paul doesn't have a big personality as the head coach of Wisconsin, but he I've made him giggle a couple times, and he's, like, happy to do that. Um, PJ Fleck at Minnesota is is game for for things. Um, you know who's the basketball coach at, at Nebraska? Uh, that yeah. that guy, Tim Miles. Yeah, Tim Miles is awesome. Tim Miles, the second he's done coaching, he's going to be a TV star if he wants it. He is legitimately funny. I will try in interviews to get a serious X and O question out of him, and he's cracking jokes. <laughs> like he is, he is a delight to talk to because he just wants to have fun and he's like yeah, yeah basketball is fine you know who is fascinating bo ryan when bo was the wisconsin head coach he gave terrible interviews because he didn't want to talk basketball so i would get the point when i would do sidelines for a wisconsin basketball game i would try to if possible not ask him a basketball question and then i would get some personality out of him because i would be like you know what what'd you what'd you say to the ref there at the end well, like, that's not a basketball question. Then he'd be like, you know, well, uh, we were talking about the latest uh, Calvin Klein issue of, you know, blah, blah, blah. I mean, he would he would lighten up on that things. But if you ask him about the X's and O's, he'd, he'd go Belichick on you. Um, I, I, the other surprising one that's not necessarily funny, but he gets it, is Urban. Urban Meyer has this stoic personality, but he gives excellent answers. He gives thoughtful Answers he gives. I did a couple sit downs with him, and he would do this a lot. He would look up to the right and then give you a good answer. Like he didn't want to just give you the rote what everyone says. He'd be like, "Well, hang on. Yeah, I think what I would do is blah blah blah." Like he was a like that. That dude is. I'm surprised so many people think he's just this this tough guy who doesn't. You know, more like a Saban is kind of like the tough guy who doesn't really want to give you a good answer. Urban will give you, it's a little more monotone than you're used to from like a Tom Izzo or a Pat Fitzgerald, but he will give you really thoughtful answers. Is there anyone that you would like to get that you haven't got? Probably not in the sports world. I mean, I, I'd get a kick out of interviewing comedians. I'd love to have Rock or Steve Martin or something like that just to sit down and hang out with. Or, or in our industry, I love to talk to Bob Costas. I'd love to talk. I, I, Tariko is is a great guy, but I'd love to really like sit down. Whenever we talk, it's five or ten minutes. Like I'd love to bend his brain on that. In terms of sports, I mean, you know, most of the guys in the in the last twenty years, the Big Ten, I've been able to get. I've gotten a bunch of NFL folks. I mean, Jordan would obviously be great. Um, uh, anybody from the 05 White Sox? I, did you like Ozzy whenever you talked oh with him? Oh, God. I loved Ozzy. Yeah? Here's why I liked Ozzy. You go there, you know, you have the the way that's set up for baseball is you get a chance every day for like a 710 or 705 first pitch. You could talk to the manager around 4, 420, like somewhere around there. Yeah. Ozzy would give us 
a great 15 minutes, <laughs> like on the record. They would give us a great it's sound bites galore. Like you're like you're taking notes. Like Wait, I gotta, I'm doing something on that and on that and on that. <laughs> then we turn the microphones off. Then Ozzy would give us 30 minutes uh, unplugged. The best. And it was the most baseball. Like you learned a lot about how guys interacted. He's and I don't say this, but you know, we're both White Sox fans, and I don't say this because we're White Sox fans. Ozzy's a genius. Yeah. And if you ever sit down with him, it becomes clearer. Now, clearly, there's the language barrier for some people, but I always notice with Ozzy that if you're looking at him, you can understand what he's saying. Like it's it 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 plays better in person than it might play if you're that. just listening on tape. And he's so animated. And the stories that he has from his time growing up in Venezuela and what it was like for him once he got to America. It's incredible. And I don't know if, if we can ever really go back to that because now like some of the unspoken rules of journalism where off the record right. now different. it doesn't really mean off the record. Like, for example, some of the stuff that got Ozzy in trouble in, in Miami – was stuff that people who covered the White Sox didn't say had heard. And I mean, we had heard, but they were off right. the record discussions, and they were treated as such. But he, I took the other guy from that clubhouse. Some people say AJ because you know AJ's you know edgy. The guy that you want to sit down with was Canerco. Oh yeah, because same thing with Urban Meyer. Knurkel's not going to jump up and down. Right. He, he's not spinning plates while he's talking to you. <laughs> but if you ask him a question, you can ask him a question about hitting, and he will dissect your question and say, that's interesting that you brought that up. Here's what I do, and here's why. And take you backwards in time of how he came up with that approach. It's so funny because the way that he approached hitting – was the exact way that he approached answering questions. It's the same type of thing that you were talking about with Urban, where he would take a minute to, to digest the question right. and then give you a legitimate answer. And it was one of those things that you didn't want to go to the well too often. Right. Like, Knurkel was a guy that you talked to a couple times on a homestand. It wasn't every night after a game. But the best stuff with him was always before. You know, he he had the big corner locker. You know, you go, he'd sit down in the chair and he would just talk with you and whatever you wanted to, especially if you want to talk hockey. Yeah. But if you wanted to talk baseball with him, he would talk baseball with you. That's awesome. That's a guy that, that, and right now, like he's playing hockey. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah. Like he's just out there in Arizona, <laughs> like eating up ice time. Good now. for him. The next time that he's in town, you should put in a request oh, yeah. to sit down with him because I think that you guys could have. A lot of fun oh, doing some stuff. That would be super cool. Did I ever tell you the day I got to go to Reinsdorf's box for a full game? No. So I got a, a friend of a friend, or pardon me, a, a buddy of mine from the improv world has a uh, an uncle who in Florida in the 70s worked at a law firm with this guy named Jerry Reinsdorf, and they've stayed friends. And so once a year for like a weekend, he says, come on down, bring your grandson or whomever, bring whoever you want. And so my buddy said, like, I'm going with my uncle and his grandson. Do you want to come with? And I was like, yes. And so we went and it was um, so cool. His uh, his uh, office like connects to Kenny and Han or in the other one. And he's got tons of Brooklyn Dodger stuff up. I mean, tons of Jackie pictures. Uh, and this was the day that Frazier got traded for Rutherford. 
And it was great because he told us in the first inning, he was like, yeah, we're going we're gonna to trade Frazier and a couple other guys. We're getting the kid Rutherford from the Yankees. And it was like, oh, cool. And then, like, four innings later, Han runs in, and he's like, son of a gun. Uh, you know, I forget if it was um, – Oh, it's Levine. He goes, Bruce Levine has it. I don't know how he has it, but he's tweeting about this, and, and it hasn't gone through yet, so we've we got to make sure nobody talks about it. And it was, like, this super cool thing. But anyways, the point of this was he told me his story about Ozzy and, and how he hired him, and he was done. It was Cito Gaston. Done. Cito is our next guy. And Ozzy reached out, and Reinsdorf said to Kenny, he was like, just go talk to Ozzy. And Kenny was like, are you sure? But we're ready to go with Cito. And he's like, yeah, just, just go talk to him. I'm not saying you have to hire him. Just just do me a favor. And he talks to him, and he comes back, and he says, it's Ozzy. And he goes, no, no, you don't have to hire him. You just have to. No, no, it's done. We're getting Ozzy. He's our guy. Wow. that's See, those are the types of stories. Those are those are great, wonderful stories. You need to talk more, more White Sox. Anytime. Man. I think. Your improv background, what made you interested in improv? I always liked the concept of it. Um, I had... You know, growing up was when Whose Line Is It Anyway was really fun um, with Ryan Stiles and Colin Mockery and all those guys. I was on Comedy Central all the time. But more so than anything, when I was in high school, the older guys I knew who were funny did it in college. And so to me, it was like, oh, when you're in college, you do Ultimate Frisbee and you do improv. And so literally when I went to Missouri, (laughs) that's what I thought you do. Uh, And when I went to Missouri, I couldn't find an improv team, but I found an Ultimate team. So the first thing I did was join an Ultimate Frisbee team. And I would go to practices twice a week and tournaments every weekend. And I was looking for an improv team, and I couldn't find one. And, like, seven months in, this guy was on my ultimate team. I walked back across campus with him, and I was like, where are you going? He's going to the improv practice. I was like, what are you talking about? And so then I went with him the next week, and then I, I kind of fell in love with it. And we had these three guys, one of them who's become this massively successful stand-up named Nick Vatterott. Um, who oh, was in he's Chicago. great. You know him? He's wonderful. Absolutely. He did stuff on our show, Sportslight. Um, he's unbelievably funny. He's one of the most groundbreaking comedians. It, it, look up Nick Vatterot Conan, and, and he's, he, he's done some unbelievable stuff on Jimmy Fallon's show. He's, he's marvelous. Um, and so I learned from him and these other two guys how to do it. And then when I decided to leave ESPNU, I was like, I have to get back to Chicago one way or another. And one of the reasons why was because I was like, I feel like part of my brain is empty. And it's that creative side, that comedic side. And I know that improv can be that void that can be to be filled. And so I moved back. And before I signed at BTN, I, I took classes at I.O. and started doing things with Second City. And like I did that for about three months before I signed with BTN officially. That was my first priority was to do that. It's such a great platform for what I do because it teaches you to listen it teaches you to not plan ahead it teaches I'm a better interviewer because of the listening skills it teaches you to react when you didn't see something coming it teaches you to be on your feet it teaches you not to stress out like there's so many valuable forget the funny it teaches you how to be on a team I mean it's it's a great I I would recommend anybody do that even if you aren't a public speaker like if you're just in business you should do improv because there's so many just valuable life things to learn from it i got a text from maggie Hendricks, who works here yeah. at the score m-i-z that's 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 right she has a, a mizzou uh product uh mizzou mafia right mm-hmm. um she texted me and said she was doing improv great good for her yeah so she's been doing it and i said oh well that's cool and then like a week later when we were talking about it she said that there is a world famous author in her class, <laughs> and she had no idea about that. Th- that 
and I guess they were having a conversation before practice, and someone had talked about the genre that this writer writes in, and not <laughs> in a great way. Oh, really? Yeah. And and so <laughs> they they went out afterwards. If I'm telling the story right, they went out afterwards, and they had no idea what the other did. So Maggie asked, "Oh, what do you do?" Well, I'm, you know, I I write books. <laughs> And she thought she was kidding. Right. She, she, she's like, oh, I write this genre. And uh, it turns out she is one of the most famous authors on the planet. Unbelievable. And she was doing improv for exactly the reason that you said, that yeah. you're going to be doing a lot of public speaking, like you want to get comfortable. Who who was the person that you wanted to be when you were younger? Which which comedian or actor was it? Uh well, geez, a lot. Uh, Conan, I worshipped. Dana Carvey was unbelievable. Will Ferrell, Steve Martin. Um, uh, I, I didn't want to be Eddie, but I wanted to be as funny as Eddie. Uh, or as silly. He was so good at silly. Um, geez, who else? Uh, there's a lot of, of different... I mean, I liked a lot of... Uh, uh, trying to think of the 90s sitcoms i watched way too much tv there's nothing wrong when with i that. was younger um <clears throat> uh geez who else a lot of saturday Night live dudes i mean i grew up in one of the one of the many heydays of that show that was mike myers and dana carvey and kevin nealon and um and chris rock and phil hartman and um so almost that entire cast was great um i was closer to like wanting to be would have been like a uh like a Dan Patrick more than anything, probably. But in terms of a comedy side, I mean, I could uh, Martin Short would have been great. Um, Ryan Stiles was so funny on Whose Line and on uh, Drew Carey. Um, yeah, there's a lot. There was a lot of people that influenced me growing up. So now that you've had this experience, you gonna write a book someday? Well, nobody would buy it. But I don't, I it might be a fun exercise. I disagree that no one would buy it. Maybe I think I think I have done. I told my buddy, uh, I forget if we talked about this on air or not, but my buddy's Jordan Klepper from, um, for, oh, yeah, we did. We were Friday Night Tailgate. And I told him when he got The Daily Show like four or five years ago, I was like, here's my advice to you. When I got to ESPN, or no, when I started Dream Job, I started taking a journal. Not of a dear diary, here's what happened today, but when something cool happened, I wrote it down. So I might not write something for three months. I might write something once a week. But when something interesting happens, write it down because you're going to forget all the details in three months, and you're going to vaguely remember that thing happened in three years. But if it's written down and you write that book one day, you're going to be thrilled that you have that. And so that's what I've done since 04. Every once in a while, I'll just write a paragraph of, hey, met Tom Brady today. This is what he said, and this was the joke I made that fell flat and blah, blah, blah. So maybe, maybe one day I'd, 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 I'd like to think there's probably enough good stories I could compile to go in there. What's the best advice that you can give a young broadcaster? Watch who you like and write down what you like about them and what you don't like about them. Take notes on every – watch someone you don't like and think what do they do well, even though I don't like them, and what do they do poorly. Um, that I did that all the time. I think that's a simple way to do it, and, and you can do that with yourself – you know, don't watch every day, but every week, every month, whatever it is, look back at what you've done or listen to what you've done or reread what you've written and go, okay, what's good and what's not? I think that's a very healthy way to to try to get better. Um, but, I mean, I give 
<clears throat> usually when I, I have a younger person at BTN, I give them like nine things. The, the, the more you can do, the more you can do is, is obviously a big one. Be kind is super important. Don't have an ego. The people who have egos get talked about behind their backs because the people who are kind are like, what is with that person? Why, why is that person acting like this? This doesn't need to be that way. Um, never let someone outwork you is a great one. I mean, come early, stay late. Uh, ask questions. Most of the time, people aren't uh, upset if you say, I'd like to pick your brain. It shows respect to them. Um, I don't know. I think in meetings, I like to listen more than talk. I think it's always annoying when the one guy who tries to talk after every topic is brought up. I only talk when I think I have something valuable to say. I think that helps. Um, yeah, I've got. I've been lucky to have a lot of. Oh, uh, uh, treat um, you know, treat everyone the same. Whether it's the producer, the cameraman, or Dan Patrick, or Dan Patrick, treat them all the same. And not only selfishly, because you don't know who's going to be the next president at the place you work. You really don't. There is no. Platform. A director can go on to be the VP. Uh, an on-air person. I mean, th- there's a guy I know who was a uh, an old reporter who went into ESPN to be a, a coordinating producer, and now he's a, a Fox News reporter. Like, he went from on-air sports to off-air to on-air news. Like, people shift and move around and, and become valuable and... The person I respect as much as anybody in this industry is now a, a producer for features and ESPN. I might never work for him again, but if I ever get a chance to, I will because he's unbelievable. Um, so be good to everybody, not just because it's the right thing to do, but because you don't know who's going to be your boss one day. Man, thank you for this. That was great, buddy. I, I appreciate you coming in here and yeah. hanging out with me. That was good. This is this good is times. what it's about. Whenever you're ready to flip the script, we're gonna do a House of M, and I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna <laughs> interview <laughs> you. I like that. I'm gonna do like that. Maybe it's your one year anniversary. I we think, do a House of M. I think that that's a really good idea, and I've, I've been toying with who do I want to do the interview. Yeah. So, oh. Oh. Well, well, then you're listen. You're gonna have better options. You're no. Gonna, you're gonna have no. better options, buddy. No way. But when all of those people say no, no. you come back to me. That's what I like to hear. That's some top-notch advice from my call. The idea of treating everyone the same. And I'll expand on that and say you treat everyone the same on the way up (laughs) as as on the way down. But he's right. You never know who could end up being your boss. And usually it is that young intern or producer that's got a little something to what they do. And those are usually the visionaries that people end up tabbing to run networks or to run a newspaper or to run a radio station. So it's really good advice. I, I adore that guy. And I, I actually, he is on the short list of people of when I do the flip episode of the house of L where I'm the guest that he is on the list of people that I would have interview me. If that's something that you guys want. I don't even know if that's something that you want. But if we do it, maybe we do it as a, a finale to season one of the podcast. And Mike Hall will definitely be on the list of people that I would want to to ask the questions instead of just giving the answers. But I do appreciate him being on the podcast. And for being on the podcast, Mike receives a $50 gift card. They are cards. I got the cards. Gift card to Melly Cafe. There are three locations that you should check out. In Greektown, right on the corner of Jackson and Halstead. Great place. They're open for breakfast and lunch. 540 North Wells. Right in Streeterville. 
You can check them out. They're open for breakfast and lunch, and they open up at 7. Both places open up at 7 in the morning. If you have a, a breakfast meeting or a brunch meeting that you want to get to, it's awesome. And then there's Melly Cafe on the corner of Congress and Dearborn, and they are open until 10 o'clock at night, so you can get dinner there if you're in the mood. It's unbelievable food. It's a great time, really incredible atmosphere. They squeeze fresh fruit juice there, too, if you're trying to be a little healthy and if you're trying not to be healthy. They got all sorts of stuff on that menu that you will love. So thanks to my call for being on the show. I appreciate it. I hope you got something out of the conversation. I know I always walk away learning stuff about the business and what it's like to be certain people and and how hard the road is to get to where you want to go. And I thought that Mike talking about how he didn't know where his road was going to go because a lot of this stuff hadn't been invented yet is key. The technology keeps getting better and it keeps changing. And so we have to be able to adapt to some of this stuff. And I think that's a good lesson to learn and I appreciate him sharing it. I hope you enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I promise we'll be back with another great guest next week. I appreciate your continued support of this podcast. If you're listening on iTunes, please give us a five-star rating. That would be great. That helps us out. Tell a friend about the podcast, too. If you like the podcast, share with someone that you think would dig it, especially if you know like a student that is interested in going into broadcasting. It's partially why I wanted to start the podcast in the first place. So I hope you enjoyed it. We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening.